Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. I'm going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here's the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. Behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken and whose donkey have I taken? Or, whose, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you and is anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, Came against you. You said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here's the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, and listen to his voice, and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, Then the hand of the Lord will be against you, as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord. And the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die, for we have 
added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside. For then you would go after futile things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Be seated. Okay, so we're still in the same scene as, as last week and 1 Samuel 11. So um, Saul has, has come upon his first test and he's passed it. He not only led the people in battle and, and gave them victory, um, the Lord gave them victory. He led the Lord's victory we should put it. Um, He also demonstrated again his humility. You remember at the end, there were those who said, you know, what about those guys that were saying that Saul was worthless? We should kill them. And Saul says, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Uh, He points the people of Israel to the Lord. He, um, Saul, does. Yet we know Saul's end. We know God rejects him. We know that he becomes dead set against uh, the work of the Lord, uh, trying to take out King David. Um, and so we ended last time saying Saul, Saul must be remembered as an example not to be emulated. And we went to 1 Corinthians 10. And, um, and reviewed that. Now, the people are all gathered together here at Gilgal, which was one of the, the places that Samuel went on circuit. So he had, he had a relationship um, with the people here. And, but he's got the, the, um, the masses of the army gathered together, the people gathered together, and the prophet again speaks. Samuel addresses Israel. Now, it's at the end of his life, right? Because he mentions, I'm old and gray. And you've now got my sons with you. Well, his sons are worthless. Um, Not helpful to the kingdom. Um, He's old and gray, he says. And he begins this address by, by pointing to his own integrity. He hasn't defrauded anybody. He has not taken what didn't belong to him. He has not used his position as prophet for the sake of sordid gain, right? For gain for himself. He's done this, and the people affirm it. So he he's uh, he's saying, "I've ministered to you," and they uh, have affirmed it. 
And he also reminds them that they asked of him uh, a king, and he has done that for them. He's old. He's uh, served them from his youth, right? He's been a long, long term prophet. Um, his conscience is clear. We think of the Apostle Paul saying the same thing to the church in Corinth. You know, I haven't taken money from anybody. In fact, I continued to work so that no one could, could hold, it, hold money against me. I continued to work uh, in, in tent making. So Paul does the same thing in Corinth, um, not using his position as a means of gain and wealth or sordid gain. People affirm it, and then, and then where does Samuel go? He goes to history. Why are the prophets always recounting history? I mean, it's an easy answer, right? You know why the prophets are always recounting history, right? Why do they always give history lessons? That's one reason. The people are doomed to repeat the bad parts of the history. Right? Man is sinful. Man, through all history, will repeat the sins that are recorded in Scripture. Right? There isn't a point where we'll have evolved to the point of perfection or been sanctified to the point of perfection in this life, right? So we're all doomed. I mean, we, we have to see the sins that are committed because we're all, in a sense, tempted by the same desires, okay? So that's one reason. What's another reason? What were you going to say, Mary? Yeah, things have happened. He's telling the truth, Right? And, um, and God has been, what? God has been faithful. God has, has been, um, <clears throat> God has been the main part of every one of the histories. God has been working out redemption through his people and through his servants. God has been being a father, both in the negative and the positive sense of that, right? Discipline of the people, but also protection and provision and strengthening the people. And so the, the prophets, just like the, the New Testament prophets, if I can call them that, go to history. You know, you think of um, Acts chapter 7. And um, why am I blanking on his name? Stephen. What does Stephen do? It's a big, long history lesson. Right? So that he can make the point that you have sinned against God and you are committing the sins that your fathers committed. Right? He recounts history in order to make that point. So history is recounted. He goes back to... um, He goes back to... uh, or uh, All the way to Jacob. In Egypt, the fathers crying out to the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. And then in verse 9, we get this statement. But they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. Now, what, what, is, the, what is the time period immediately preceding Samuel and the setting up of the king? That's where he gets to, right? And so he goes to Gideon, Jerubbaal, 
Badon, which is another name for Barak. Jephthah. And look at that. Look in verse 11. Who's, who's the judge named with these other judges? Samuel. It's very interesting that he includes himself in that list at this point. Um, those judges that, those leaders that raised up, were raised up by the Lord, who the Spirit came upon them, and they delivered the people. So he works up to the time of the judges that shortly before this time, and includes himself in that list. But think about that. How could they forget the Lord their God? How could those people forget the Lord their God? How can you forget the Lord your God? Prosperity brings about forgetfulness, doesn't it? That is so true. I mean, I I think it's two things. I think there are two things. There's just basic idolatry that gods that we can control are much more favorable than a god that we can't control. Right, So we serve a God we can control. We serve a God who will give us immediate pleasure rather than the God who, who has called us to righteousness yet supplied that righteousness to us. Right, And so there's just idolatry. Right, The gods, the gods um, that we make are easier to serve than the, God, than the living God, the God of heaven, the God who is... Um, not of our own imagination, right? So there's that. And then there's prosperity, right? There, there's no need for his help. Things are, are going well. I have no need for anything outside of myself. Things are lined up pretty well. My prayers stop. There are no difficulties. Right? I've got this. I can do this. I can make all the money I need. I can make all the friends I want you know, in need. I can, I can do whatever I want. Um, things are well. No need for the help of God. Now, that's, that's what Moses kept pounding on when he had one last opportunity to address the people of God. Right? The book of Deuteronomy, we could summarize as, don't forget the Lord. And that's, in a sense, what he's saying. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me just read one of the things he says, but this theme keeps coming up in this book. Um, Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you 
through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. That he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God. And go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify you against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So there it is, right? Prosperity leads to forgetfulness. Prosperity makes us think that the idols, the mute and the deaf idols are enough. We don't need the help of the living God. So Moses reminds the people of this. Samuel is now reminding the people of this. He's reminding the people that they did indeed forget God. Forget God. They forgot God. Idols idols are mute, blind, and dumb, but it's funny how they give you what you want. Right? It's funny how they always give you what you want. Um, prosperity, Moses reminds us, leads to pride. And we know that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Um, So look to his word. God is not mute, blind, and dumb, and will not give you what you want, but only what is good. He will not give you what you want. But he will only give you what is good. And rejoice when you encounter trials. Rejoice when you encounter trials because they are God's mercy to you, keeping you humble. Um, I mean, some of, some of our trials that come upon us are because we're stupid. right? Um, they're just on you because of your negligence and stupidity. But others are upon you because God is a father who protects you from pride by bringing you down. He protects you from even your own pride by bringing you down, by making you suffer, by making you lose and not prosper. So idolatry and prosperity, those flip sides of a coin that lead us to forget God. I mean, it's scandalous, isn't it? To forget God, to think about all you know about what the Lord has done for you, to think about the fact that He gave you His own Son who died for you and then to forget Him, right? To, to, to enter into anything in your life and not be praying to God is, in a sense, to forget God. And we do it all the time. And look at what He has done for you. I think of Psalm 137. 
which is, I mean, we think of Psalm 137 because of the end of it where, where it, it commends the dashing of God's enemy's children against the rocks, right? But what does it say before that? They've, this is a, a psalm from exile, and it says, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem. If I forget you, O Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, is a, a synecdoche, right? It's a part, it, it stands for God's presence. Right? So, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill or become lame. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Right? Do you forget God? Does the thought of forgetting God make you want to pray this prayer that says, let my my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, unable to speak? Or, Or is it just everyday life? You wake up, you do work, you get the job done, you roll back into bed, and you haven't praised God, you haven't prayed to God, and you haven't given Him your, your affections. Is that what it's been? Well, maybe you're prospering too much. And you can pray that God would bring you low so that you might know the preciousness of His grace, the strength of the salvation that you have in Him. Now we learn more about the people asking for a king, don't we, in this passage. Samuel comes to the people and he's talking. He, um, he reminds them of, of one of the motivations for their request for a king was what? It was Nahash. You know, it's, they didn't... They were just scared. Nahash was an enemy. He was afflicting the people of God. And and we're told, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Right? So they, they wanted this fleshly king. They wanted somebody who could lead out in front of them that they could see, not this God who, who was no longer before them in the, the, the flames in the cloud. He seems so far away. They'd rather have a man leading them. And that was their choice. God was their king, and they asked for a king. God was their king, they asked for a king. What is that other than forgetting God? All of his deliverances through the judges, all of their previous apostasies overlooked while he leads them. Samuel says in verse 13, Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If, if, now we get these conditional statements here. A couple of conditional statements. If you will and if you will not. Two sides of this. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him. Fear the Lord and serve Him. And listen to His voice. 
and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will follow the Lord, you will follow the Lord, he's saying. Right? If you will go after him, if you'll serve him, then you'll follow the Lord. In other words, the Lord will still be going before you. You'll follow after him. Wherever he takes you, you will go. Whatever he says, you will listen to. Whatever he does, you will acknowledge as good. Right? And so he says, if you will do this, then you will follow the Lord. You and the king. The king will follow too. This king, this man that you've raised up. If you will not, what does he say? If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now that should make them tremble in fear. To have God against you? Is it trivial to have almighty, omnipotent power against you? Almighty God set against them. They're not listening. They're rebelling against His commands. What He says is good, they say is evil. Right? And He set, and they set themselves against God, and the hand of the Lord would then be against them. And then a lesson in the skies. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? (laughs) Imagine the prophet just stopping. Is it not the wheat harvest today? And you're like, "What, what is going on? Why is he bringing that up? Well, why he's bringing it up is the wheat harvest was dry season. It did not rain, typically. This part of the year. The wheat is drying out. I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And what was the response? Glorious, a glorious thing. A real fear of the Lord. And not just a fear of the Lord, a fear of Samuel. Who is the one who prayed to the Lord that this would happen. A fear of the prophet of the Lord as well as the Lord. They were to listen to this prophet, weren't they? They were to learn the word of God from this prophet. And he was to announce to them the will of the Lord. And they even began to fear him. And um, look at their response. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God. There's some distance there, right? To the Lord, our God. To the Lord, your God. I mean, they're they're perhaps showing some deference there, just in that 
pronoun. They say, pray for your service to the Lord your God so that we may not die. (laughs) For we have added to our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Now this is really interesting, isn't it? Interesting. It's really interesting, isn't it? Interesting. That's a terrible... This is nice, isn't it? Isn't this nice? Who thinks it's disgusting? I mean... Why does Samuel bring this up again? You have done evil in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. The king is doing well. It seems that Samuel is even pleased with the king at this point. Why can't he just leave well enough alone? Why can't this... Why can't this prophet just stop bringing up our sins? Can he not be positive? Can he not, you know, talk talk about the grace of God for a little bit? Talk about how God is, is merciful and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Why does the prophet keep coming to us and saying, you've added sin to sin? Well, here's what one commentator says. He, he wrote, How can the living God get you to fear your subtle idolatry, be alarmed by it, be repulsed by it, or even become aware of it, unless he shows you how it appears to him? And in order to impress this upon his people, he seared the liver out of them by a sign of his holy anger. Fear of Yahweh's righteous wrath seemed to open the way to repentance and then this this um, pastor says please don't begin to spout any nonsense about how wrong it is to motivate by fear what matters is whether there is a true basis for fear if there is reason to tremble we ought to tremble Neither the church nor individual Christians should be above truthful terror. If God grants us a sight of our own sin and of his displeasure, we can be sure he does not do so merely to see us tremble, but to see us tremble and be restored. Tremble and repent. Tremble and then live in holiness and know The beauty of a clear conscience. In 1 Samuel 12, we see both the kindness and the severity of God. We forget that Paul says that, don't we? In Romans 11. The kindness and severity of God leads us to repentance. Yahweh intends fear as the weight of faithfulness. And then this, this pastor quotes, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Right? That hymn we sing. Fear leads to repentance. They acknowledge they have added evil to evil. And now they are at the point where they are casting themselves upon the mercy of God. That's a good point to get to for all of us, isn't it? 
They're just throwing themselves at the mercy of God. Pray for us to your God, they say. Pray for us. That's true uh, humility. And then, verses 20 to 25, Samuel comes back to the people with these comforting words. But notice what he doesn't, he doesn't give with one hand and take away with the other. Notice what he still affirms in this passage. He says, do not fear, you have committed all this evil. Don't fear, you've done terrible wickedness. You've rejected God from being your king. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Right? To turn away now would be, would be infinitely worse. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they're futile. Don't turn away now because what you go to is going to be worthless and it's going to be adding evil to the evil that you already added to your evil. And then this, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. I mean, if you don't get chills when a verse like that comes up, if, you don't, if it doesn't make you stop and think about the, the stupendous gift you've been given in Jesus Christ, that you've been given His righteousness. And it's so that His name might be great. So that His name might be the name above all names. Right? Um, we don't have a pulse if this doesn't make us rejoice in what we have in Jesus Christ because we have all added evil to our evil. And we have even done it today. But God has determined to make a people out of us. God has determined to make a holy people set apart for His glory out of those who have added evil upon evil upon evil and continually do it. For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name. Not on account of their great name, because His name. He will not abandon them because He has made promises and God does not lie. And He has been pleased to make a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord... By ceasing to pray for you. (laughs) I'm not going to stop praying for you. He's saying to the people, yeah, you've added evil. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm not going to stop praying for you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to now throw a temper tantrum before the Lord. I'm not going to cease praying for you. But he then says, I will teach you what's right. You have to stop adding evil to your evil. I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. Consider what great things He has done for you. Children, what great things has God done for you? 
righteousness that you have to have in order to be with God in heaven has been supplied to you. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Will be gone. Now think of these words again in what we know about Saul. Think of these words that Samuel drops into Saul's lap and into the people's lap. So Samuel is being Samuel is being faithful, he's being fatherly, he's being a good shepherd to the people. You know, he, he could have made light of their sin. He could have said, meh, you know, you, you didn't sin. Instead, he says, you've committed this great evil. He's being honest with the people. He's not selling them a false bill of goods. He's not lying to them. They have sinned in terrible ways. He could have said, you know, you have sinned, but just just." Believe the gospel more. That's a phrase you hear all the time today. Isn't it? Just believe the gospel. You've sinned and you've con- you'll continue to sin. And, and you know, you're going to sin in worse ways from here out. But just believe the gospel more. As if the gospel is some sort of um, magic. Instead, what does he say? He says, serve him with all your heart. Be committed to God. Be committed to His ways. Serve Him, fear Him, obey Him, or else. Serve Him alone or else. He could have said... He could have said many other things than what he said here, which was to remind them of their sin. A good prophet, a good father, right? Samuel says, obey God, serve him, trust in him and his promises. Um, So many today then would go on and make obedience an enemy of God or an enemy of God's grace, as if obedience is set against the grace of God. Um, so many today make repentance an enemy of God's grace, right? Repentance means you haven't fully trusted in the gospel, which is absurd. So many pastors today would have explained how the people requesting a king was merely a function of the way God made them. And that God could not then require them to repent because he had made them this way. And then instead of fearing and trembling before God, begging for His mercy, and coming to understand the stupendous riches of Jesus Christ, and His substitution, and His alien righteousness given to Him, that man becomes an accuser of God. And grace becomes the fruit of His demands of God, rather than a realization that He arrives at after feeling the full weight of His sins. Do you get what I'm saying there? Grace without knowing of your sins becomes a demand that you place on God. God, be gracious to me. 
But grace, if you know the full weight of your sins, just leaves you speechless. It is not an accusation you make, that, and a requirement that you, you demand of God. It is just unbelievable gift, undeserved. Remarkable that I have this, this good thing. Unbelievably remarkable. Samuel tells the people, you are wicked, but God is merciful. But he doesn't leave off the fact that you are wicked. I don't leave off the fact that I am wicked and you are wicked and we have committed great evil. It's the only way for you to understand the grace of God. Pastors, again, today will tell people, you are precious. You are good. You are clean. You are not half bad. And God is pleased with you. And life is so good, isn't it? We're all flourishing. We're all just flourishing, going on from good to better. And it's just a lie. Um, God, I mean, if you have been, a few last points on this. If you have been sold the lie that you are precious to God just the way you are, you do not yet know the astonishing, confounding, paradoxical grace and mercy of God towards you. If you have not gasped for breath as you contemplate the shamefulness of your sin, then you do not understand the great grace of Jesus Christ. If you believe that repentance is wicked, the opposite of faith, the fruit of an unproductive Christian walk, You have not yet thrown yourself upon the mercy of God. If your Christian life is one where you need to be told how wonderful you are. How precious. How unique. I fear you may not know the the commonality, the pervasiveness of the depth of your individual sins. And if you don't know that, you... You misunderstand the grace of God, that grace that saves miserable sinners who are always adding evil upon evil. You deserve hell. You deserve hell. And you've done everything you could possibly do to earn it. You deserve hell. But God has been pleased to make you a people for himself. You are putrid, you are stinking, you are vile, you are disgusting, you are hellish. But God will not abandon his people on account of his great name. Do not ever, therefore, demand that he accept your sinfulness or your sinful desires which He sent His Son to die for. If you do, then your sin is more precious to you than is God's grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for all the times that You have warned us from Scripture. 
We thank you that the prophet's words still speak to us. We thank you that you give us voices of pastors and elders and friends who tell us that we are sinful and must repent. And thank you that you have opened our eyes up to the graciousness of repentance, that it truly is your kindness that leads us to repentance, that it it truly is that we might understand just how merciful you are. Oh, Father, I pray that we would not now, in thinking on the grace of God, not, not now go away and forget, forget you, forget your graciousness, forget our own sinfulness, but that we would trust all the more in Jesus Christ, plead with you for mercy, and understand that you are making a people for yourself, holy and blameless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.